Welcome to Invest Stories. Whether you're a seasoned pro looking for that next step or a newbie investor not sure where to start, Invest Stories unlocks the mindset, strategies, and techniques of high performers across business, real estate, and investing to help you level up your journey to financial freedom. This Welcome is to the Invest, Invest Stories podcast with me, your host, John Hooper, and I've got a really cool episode for you today. It's with uh, Bill Flynn. Uh, Bill is a business, I don't want to say guru, he, he, he coaches business, he's set up a bunch of startups and he's uh, got a, a, a massive wealth of experience in, uh, in building startups and building companies. Uh, he's got over 30 years experience, he's worked for over hundreds, 100 companies, including 20 plus startups. Uh, he's, he's an eight-time startup VP himself uh, and a two-time CMO. And uh, he's got 10 years experience as a business advisor and as a coach. Uh, he's on the board of advisors for, for different initiatives and different companies. And his expertise is in really in, in scaling businesses, uh, working to, uh, to, to weed out dysfunction and how to kind of grow and organically grow and grow uh, in, a, in a positive way. He's also the author of Future Faster, which is a, a fantastic book, well worth a read. And interestingly, he's also pitched to Steve Jobs as well. So again, the, the track record is there, right? And the cool thing about, um, about Bill is he's very down to earth. He's very straightforward. He's very to the point. Um, and you might be wondering now, which is... Uh, how does this fit with real estate? How does this connect? And that's what Bill's here to talk about. It's all about growth and how you organically grow your, your business, your organization, even if it's a business of one, how you develop that sustainable growth. So please do check it out. Please do stick around. I know it's not typical kind of real estate, but this is the kind of stuff we want to bring you. If you like it, uh, and you're watching on YouTube, can you like and subscribe? If you like it and you're listening on wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts or Podbean or wherever that is, Spotify, can you just give us a, a five-star review? Um, it really does help and um, we really appreciate it. And uh, reach out to us on uh, Instagram. You can find us on Investories Pod uh, or email us at uh, investoriespodcast at gmail.com and come say hi. Uh, anyway, without further ado, here's Bill. Welcome to Investories, Bill Flynn. Hey, Bill. Hey, John. How are you? Good. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. So, you're you're kind of a, you're kind of an experiment for us on Investories, <laughs> which is our uh, our newfound um, our, our newfound mission. Which is um, we, we like to add value. We like to have conversations that add value to to kind of people. Now, for for those listening, Bill is. Uh, Bill's Bill's company is is some. Let me restart that. Bill's company helps leaders and their teams take the guesswork out of uh, growth and focuses on strategic execution, uh, teaming, and um, and cash. Right, Bill, is that a fair description of what you guys do? That is a fair description. Yep. So, what does that mean? <laughs> I guess is the biggest question. So, uh, the, let me frame that question a little bit, which is. For years, I struggled to get out of my box. I was sat in a corporate job. I wasn't ever really a big dreamer. I was kind of a do do your performance review and forget about it for the next year and not really think about what am I doing and how am I building kind of growth personally, but also mm -hmm. what do I want to do in, in terms of my forever kind of legacy. So I'm fascinated by this conversation about the kind of growth and, and growth mindset and kind of breaking through that. 
what what does that look like? How do you help people? Yeah, so um, I have found so I I've been really interested in business and business success and failure for about thirty years, and I've really focused a lot in the last seven or eight. Um, I actually wrote a book from the the work that I did called Further Faster, which goes into a little more depth about what we're going to talk about today. But what I found is that there's a big gap between what science knows and what business does. Uh, and there's there's been management science for a hundred years, and and all of the things that I teach people is not something that I have like come up with on my own. <laughs> uh, these are things that have been around for for decades, you know, if not longer. Um, and, uh, what I found in my research is that most businesses fail. Actually, the failure rate of a new business is about 50% of them fail within the first five years. And, uh, that failure rate actually continues, uh, the data that I've seen, uh, in a couple of different places, Department of Labor and U.S. Bureau of Statistics says that at 25 years, only about 16% of them are left. So it keeps going, and which which doesn't seem to make sense to me because you know if you're in business for a while, you'd probably get better at it, right? Because you've been doing it for a while, and, and that's actually not what happens. Um, what we do, at least my theory, is that what happens is a, a, we make a lot of mistakes, but they're little mistakes, and they're not full mistakes, but they add up over time, and that slows everything down, right? We hire the wrong people. We um, the, we don't keep up with competition. We um, try to go too broad, too fast. You know, there's all these ways that things happen. Uh, we keep C players far too long. Um, and those things just add up and which makes it harder and harder and harder for the leadership team to bring that business through. So what I do is I teach, I teach what Drucker, Deming, Shine, McGregor, Bennis, you know, Porter, you know, these management science thinkers, Edmondson have been talking about for a really long time. And I share it with them. I say, here's really doesn't, guarantee that you'll be a success, but it increases your chances of success tremendously. And that's what I teach is this sort of framework uh, to do that with leaders. That's really cool. I would definitely want to dive into what that framework looks like. So one, one of the things I wanted to ask you about though is, and this is something I struggle with is, so when you have that, 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 you know, looking out at kind of YouTube university or the ether of people starting businesses and um, growing to these huge exponential companies or not, right? Or growing to a moderate number. I have right, complete right, right. like imposter syndrome because like, why me? Why? I don't, I didn't go to Harvard. I didn't um, go through all these programs. Yeah. What is that? Like, what's the, what's the psyche? Or what's the kind of mindset or the breakthrough to kind of, um, to fix that? <laughs> that yeah, sure. Well, well, first I want to, I want you to let you know, don't feel bad because most startups, uh, started at Stanford, MIT, and Harvard, mm -hmm. at least in the United States. And 90% of them fail. So don't feel so bad about that. Um, so even though they're super you know, educated and whatever, um, they, they really haven't figured it out as well. So what I found, so I, I really sort of found a difference is, is that when, when you, what you want to learn are first principles of doing things not how other people do things, unless they're based on first principles. Most startups do not do it on first principles. They do it on conventional wisdom. And they do it, they're driven by typically their investors who honestly don't really care if you survive. 
Uh, they spread their money across many different places. They push them really hard to invest, etc. For several reasons. One is they want them to grow fast. They want them. They want to try to find the next Google or YouTube or whatever, and they want you to come back and ask for more money so they can own more and more of your company. So there's a misalignment in in investors right away with with the with the founder, and they don't really want you to be profitable, um, at least not initially. So, um, so, so there's a lot of stuff working against you as a founder. Um, what I would recommend is you, t is you listen to, um, or read books from folks who talk about how it's been done successfully time and time again. So people have used the scientific method to do startups, right? Is, is the scientific method is basically you come up with a hypothesis and you try to prove that your hypo hypothesis is wrong. And if you can't, then you're onto something. Right. Gravity is still a theory, but no one's proven it wrong yet. So <laughs> we seem to think it's a pretty good thing. So that's exactly what you want to do with a startup is you want to come up with a, you know, a hypothesis. You want to have a target customer that you're going to go after and you're going to go ask them, do you have this problem? Is it important to you? Have you spent time and resources on it? Um, and, and how is that going? Um, but most founders don't do that. They go in and say, look how smart I am. Let me show you my thing that will make your life, you know, terrific. Would you like one? And most of the time they'll say, oh, that's great. That's a great idea. I love that idea. But when they ask for money is when you get the real answer. And then mm -hmm. they won't give you their money or their time. They'll just say, well, you know, we're kind of busy. We're on some other things, you know, you know, let us, you know, we'll call you back when we have time for that. And most, that's how most founders work. And I've worked with lots of founders and I can tell you that from experience and from research, that's how they work, which is exactly the opposite thing you want to do. They're trying to prove that they're right instead of trying I to prove that, that they're wrong. I love that. Yeah. I've, I've heard the product thing before, which is if you offer someone a product and say, do you like this? A lot of the responses will be sure. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have a customer. It yeah. means you have someone that thinks, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Oh, you want money for it? Exactly. Mm. Or, or, or most people are, <laughs> most nice, people are nice, right? They're that's, just being that's nice. That's true. That's true. So in terms of that process of um, kind of that, that hypothesis and, and proving it wrong, what, what does that look like? Is that just kind of self-led research or is there a, there's a step? No, no, there's, there's research been around for decades on how to do this. Uh, there are two schools of thought that I've come across. There may be others, but there are two ones that, that when I look at this, and I'm not really looking at startups very much. I'm more doing scale-ups, but I've done 10 startups. And so uh, and many of them went badly. <laughs> so I, I, wanted, I was always trying to get better and better and better and improve at that. Um, so I found two things. There's one that's called customer discovery, which is mostly something that uh, Steve Blank, who is now a professor at um, UC Berkeley and teaches entrepreneurs, I think he still teaches. He writes books and stuff, but I don't, he writes like a professor and, and the books are boring and long and too much information. But I highly recommend that if you're going to get on YouTube, go and listen to him and talk about how to do this. He's great. Um, two of his disciples, one is Eric Reese, who many people know because Eric wrote a book about startups. And now I can't remember the name of it. Um, and that became a very, a bestseller. Um, Eric Reese was actually a student of, um, of Steve Blank, and then this woman, Cindy Alvarez, who wrote something called Lean Customer Development, which is a prescriptive book on how to do this. And it's a great, it's a great, if, if someone's looking to do it and doesn't know how, buy this book. She does a great job. 
um, of, of explaining how to do it. Um, the other one is called Jobs to be Done, which is a, a management theory that's been around for about 30 years. Um, Clayton Christensen, who is uh, this disruptor guy at Harvard Business School, who's written a bunch of books on disruption, he's sort of known for it, but it's not his theory. It's not his thing. It's other people's thing, but he loved it and made it into a theory that you could apply across lots of things. They're very similar in their approach. And the the thing about it, the method doesn't matter that much. It's the mindset more than anything. And what you have to do, and I actually did customer, I've done hundreds and hundreds of customer discovery calls. And I really sucked <laughs> at them for a while. And I, and, I, and I figured out why. It's because when you're doing them, you have to act like you don't care. You have to be like an investigative or a, a journalist and you have to like interrogate the other side and, and not be invested at all in the answer, right? You're not trying to find, you're trying to find a pattern. You're not trying to prove something correctly. And if you don't find a pattern, then, then you have a problem. If you do it well and you don't find a pattern, you have a problem. If you find a pattern, then you dig deeper into that and you might be onto something. So that was the biggest thing I learned is the mindset has to be one of, of um, disinterest mm -hmm. in the outcome, not uninterest, but disinterest, meaning you're not, you don't like have a dog mm -hmm. in the fight, right? And that's really hard to do when it's your thing, right? Uh, um, so, so that's the hardest part I found. That's really interesting. That. I'm trying to think how that, um, a lot of our listeners are real estate investors, uh, growing real estate businesses. And I think there's, there's something really in that in terms of not being attached to um, kind of specifics of a real estate, you know, there, there's, it's making it from a, uh, an emotional decision, turning it from an emotional decision into more of a meaningful kind of yeah. business tactics decision, I guess. Does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so real estate is, is, has a different um, genesis than like a startup, True. like a meaning like, trying to solve a new problem in a new way, you know, a real estate, you really, it's really much more about strategy, right? And strategy is much more about differentiation and, cho and choice, what to choose not to do than what to, to do. So you can be like, you want to be seen as the go-to company for this thing, whatever that is, right? I mean, Ikea is a, just a furniture company. There's mm -hmm. tons of furniture companies, but they're the go-to for a particular customer which that wants a particular kind of thing and not anyone else southwest is the same thing for airlines you know and they've been the most profitable airline for 50 years in the public markets um far out you know out distancing any other airline and only recently uh were they not only they're, they're i think they're the seventh or eighth largest airline in the world which is crazy because they only serve mm -hmm. basically north america and mostly america which, you know, we're a big country, but we're only a few hundred million people. There's billions of others. Um, but they've almost always been number one mm -hmm. or number two in profit. Even though they're much, much smaller than everyone else, but they're they're a highly profitable airline. So those are the things you got you to figure out. You got to figure out how to be different, not how to be better. Because I, I have this convoluted sentence I give to folks. I said, when it comes to strategy, different and better is best, but different is always better than better. <laughs> Right, I'm gonna I'm gonna clip that, but and I'm that probably gonna loop it a couple of times. Okay, I'm trying to process that. Okay. Trying to process it. it actually makes sense. When, so that that's really interesting. So a, a friend of mine, um, we were talking about. Uh, have you heard of Prime Energy Drink, which is this influencer backed energy drink? Yeah. And, and we were discussing: it, it, Are we in a post quality 
post-product age. So actually the product doesn't matter. It's the differentiation and the marketing or the perceived differentiation. That's all that matters. For, for a while, for a while. Yeah, that, that is up. true, right? If you can spend a lot of money, but if you don't, if you don't, so so this is mm-hmm. you get back to jobs to be done, right? And and based the premise behind jobs to be done is that people don't buy products and services; they hire them to do a certain job for them, and that job typically has one up to three different um, needs they're trying to meet: functional needs, which is we're usually pretty good at, right? This is the pull and push of you know the, the need and. Uh, etc. But there's also social and emotional needs. Social is how they're perceived by other people. That is part of their process, right? And I and, and my joke, my my story here is Mercedes and Toyota. They basically do the same thing, right? They're really good cars. They last a long time. They're safe. But when you're in a Mercedes, you know, people are looking at you and they're like, oh, you know, John has made it. John, John must be doing well, you know. Uh, and you're probably in there feeling pretty good about yourself, right? I'm in a Mercedes, right? Or, you know, and that's the that's the emotional thing. Like, how do I feel when I'm doing this thing? And when you work, when you figure out what those two or three things are, it's not always three, but it's typically two of those things, then you've got something, right? You, you have met um, what people won't necessarily admit to, right? They're not going to admit that I feel better about myself because I have a Mercedes. Um, but that is one of the reasons they buy the car. And if you can figure that out, as well as the functional um, aspect of it, uh, then you you've done really well. Um, so, regard with regard to your you know to your example, um, that's what you have to figure out. And most people don't they, we don't bother doing that, right? We're we're pushing, you know, um, and that with the jobs to be done, there's also a theory called the progress theory, which is that when we make a decision, which is a buying as a decision, there are four forces that are working us towards a decision. Two forces that pull us toward a decision which are the push and the pull of the decision itself. Again, that's more functional. You know, you have, you're dissatisfied with something, right? Uh, and then you see someone else or, and or you see someone else doing it differently and you're like, oh, so that's the pull. The push is the dissatisfaction. And we're kind of good at that. But there are also two, two forces that work against us, which are called habit mm-hmm. and anxiety, right? Anxiety is the fear of the new thing, right? Is it not going to work for me? Am I going to look stupid doing it or whatever? And then the habit is, you know, we don't really like change. So, you know, yeah, we should do it, but uh, I'll just, it's fine. It's good enough. You know, I don't need to change this. So, so the push and the pull have to be stronger than, than the habit and the anxiety. And if you can work that into your situation, um, then you're a better, you're at a better, um, uh, you're in a better position. So there's one story I'll quickly tell with, with related to that. So one of the guys, Bob Mesta, who is the, one of the progenitors of this, this jobs to be done thing, used to sell condos or help someone sell condos. And, and but by the way, Bob has helped 3,500 different products over the last 20 or 30 years. One of them is Snickers, Casper Mattress. Wow. So, you know, these things, you know, people know these things. But this one is a great story because, so he, he did this thing. He went out and he had talked to people and, and he had three different customers. One was an empty nester. And the empty nester said they kind of want one level living you know, they want, you know, two bedrooms because they want the kids come over, the grandkids come over, friends, they want to be able to do that and etc. So they made this thing and they and they did pretty well. And then sales started to fall off uh, and they couldn't figure out why. So they went back and started asking people who almost bought you know, what was going on. And they kept hearing dining room table. So they like dug in, like, what's, what's about the dining room table? What, what happened was people had the dining room table and they didn't want to leave. Or this is the anxiety or even the habit, right? 
I don't want to, I can't just throw out my dining room table. Mm-hmm. It has all the memories of everything we ever did, right? We did homework here. We had played games here. We had dinners here with great talk, right? So it didn't seem right. You know, it wasn't logical, but it, it doesn't matter. You know, we're irrational. Um, so what they did is they changed the the layout and they made, they made the second bedroom smaller and they made the dining room bigger so they could bring the dining room table if they wanted to. Um, they also had other things with, you know, the, all the stuff they had. And so they did like a sorting room over a couple of years. And then what happened was sales went up, mm-hmm. right? Because that was one of the, one, the anxiety, they, they alleviated the anxiety. Most people wouldn't even bother to think about that, right? They just keep pushing, right? It's a price thing. Oh, we'll just, we'll do this for you. We'll, you know, we'll furnish it for you. You know, they'll jam it in. They didn't do that. They had to figure out what, what one of the things that was, was preventing this from happening. And then sales naturally just went up just by leaving that. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. You're on mute. That's incredible. Um, I think back to when my grandparents moved out of their huge apartment in an old Victorian house into a small apartment and they just furnished the whole, all the halls of their apartment. It was hilarious. It was like walking through an extended version of their, <laughs> their living room, which, which is quite funny. <laughs> that's one way of yeah, doing it. Exactly. That's, so, that's so smart. Yeah, the, of course it makes sense because there's so much emotion attached to our possession, like especially a dining table. Yeah. You know, we have, we have a small child sit around the dining table every night. We have those memories building up right now. So I totally, yeah. totally get that. Of course. In, yeah, yeah, in yeah. terms of um, the failure of businesses, is there like a hard and fast rule of why businesses fail at those milestones? Is it kind of a... No. You no. said the the compounding kind of of, of small failures or, or small mistakes. Well, it's a, it's it's a really great question because um, about five years ago or so, I asked the same question. I said, "Well, you know, why do businesses fail?" So I, I got all this data, like fifty percent in five years, and then seventy five percent in ten years, or whatever the numbers were. And I'm like, "Well, why does that happen?" And there must be some a reason. And I, I looked up a lot of stuff, and then it's funny. A lot of what I read is, "Well, they ran out of cash." I'm like, "Well, that's not the reason they failed. That was the result." of the failure that was in yeah. front of it. Right. So I just, I just started Googling it. I didn't do anything crazy. You know, I just started Googling it and I started writing down all the reasons why businesses fail. And at 35, I stopped. Wow. So I came up with 35 different reasons in like two hours. I mean, it wasn't very long, right? This and what were they, research Bill? <laughs> you know, and they were all different. Yeah. I'll send you the list. It's, it's, it's a pretty big list. Um, and I talk about, I do a key, I do some keynote speaking and stuff. And I talk about that and I say, there are lots of ways to go out of business or to struggle, right? Most businesses struggle. And so if, if it's 50, 50 in five years, there's still 50 left. And it's not like all of them are doing great. Only a really small portion of them are doing great. Most of the other like 35, 40, 50%, whatever the number is, 45% are struggling, right? They're just getting by. Um, they're, they're, they're not really sure what the future looks like for them, right? They're, they're just trying to make payroll or whatever. Um, and that's a shame because there are lots of ways, there, there are ways to do this and there are proven ways to do this over the last hundred to 200 years that people just don't do. And so that's what I teach them. I teach them what, what great businesses do that thrive. Now, do they do it? That's up to them. (laughs) Um, but but there are ways to to increase tremendously the chances of success and the less likelihood that you have to in like invest your entire life into your business 
right? That's the other thing. People are like, I just, I just spend so much time. And even if I'm not there, I'm thinking about business and I'm, I'm ignoring my friends and my family and et cetera. So that's also, I think the, 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 mm-hmm. the shame of it, right? Is that we need people to, to do these things. We need people to come up with new ideas and, and invest And in, you know, and small businesses are really mm-hmm. the things that drive economies. They're not these big banks and, you know, it's, it's the small companies that do it. Um, and it, it, I, I want to teach as many of um, of them as I can to mm-hmm. do it differently because because there is a better way to do it and most people don't do it that way. Yeah, I guess. And so, in terms of broad strokes, is there like a is there like a rule of th- thumbs? Not a great phrase, but is there a is there kind of a a few key um, principles people can apply to to kind of getting started? Yeah, yeah. So so. Um, so first of all, the, the main principle is that your business is one big system. That's all it is. It has multiple subsystems and multiple components within those. And you have to think of your business as a system. And that's why there's not like one way that everyone does it. You know, everyone does, if you do one system and you do a really great job in one system. So if you have a great execution system, right? You, are, you have great teams. You're doing things really well. You're setting your goals. They're, they're the right ones. They're cohesive. They drive towards the future and don't, don't um, violate who you are, all these things. And you have an okay strategy. That's okay. Many businesses have, you know, have done really well because they've executed really well on a, an okay strategy. Microsoft, I'll tell you, did this for like 30 years. They didn't really have a great strategy, but man, they, ha- they could execute the hell out of anybody. Right, uh, and they would just run over people. Um, but when we found out that eventually, you know, Microsoft is not who they are, mm-hmm. who they were. Right, they're not an operating system company anymore. Right, they're they're a business to business provider. Right, not Satya Nadella has gone in and really changed um, what what Microsoft is because he he did he did the right thing. Right, he went out and talked to people. He he had been there for 30 years. So look, good for him that he wasn't like inculcated and just said, we got to do more of that. He sat back. He was very, mm-hmm. it's a very reflective. He just seems like a great guy. Um, I'd love to sit down and chat with him. Um, and, and he said, you know, Hey, our customers that really love us, love us for these reasons. And we're not really doing that. We got to get better and better at those things. And, you know, he, he basically turned them around. So Steve Ballmer nearly killed them. Um, although it's pretty hard to kill Microsoft because they have so much money in the bank. Um, but uh, I, I think that's that's one thing is, is you have to think of it as one big system. And then the, 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 the main subsystems underneath are team. We always talk about culture and I think culture is important, but culture is a magnet, but it does not hold them there. It attracts people, mm-hmm. but it does not hold them. If you were in a really great culture, but on a really bad team, you want out. Right? You either want out of the team or out of the company. Uh, or, by the way, also, if you're in a really bad culture, but a great team, you'll True. stay. Yeah, I've had that which situation. Which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I've talked to people. I've heard stories from people like, yeah, I was in this horrible. This company was horrible. But, man, our <laughs> team was awesome. The guy stayed there. One of the guys wow. stayed there for 17 years before he left. And he knew it was terrible. So team is really important. You have to teach people how to be really great team leaders, how to attract great team members, how to assemble the, the, the right team. So a team, a really great team is made up of idiosyncratic people. And you as a leader have to figure out how to manage and, and lead all of these different people who aren't necessarily mm-hmm. going to agree. 
uh, et cetera. And, and doing that really well and then growing the team that contributes as optimally as they can to the success of the organization is a really important skill, which we don't teach, right? We just throw people in. Typically, if you're technically proficient, mm-hmm. you become a team leader. But that doesn't mean you're any good at leading people or having a vision or doing all those things, right? So you have to be really good at that. Um, the second is strategy and execution. You have to understand the strategy and execution are mm-hmm. two sides of the same coin. They are inextricably and inexorably connected, right? Uh, and I've done this for years. Um, for, for about three years, I was a, a sophisticated speaker and I spoke to hundreds and hundreds of CEOs and I would ask them the same question. I would ask them, what is your strategy? Uh, and then they would say it out loud. And then I said, okay, so let's say you, you like this Monday morning when you go back to your office and you have your leadership meeting with everybody, what if you did this? If you went around the room and said, everyone write down in your own words, what our company strategy is, and then have them read it out loud, what would happen? And to a man, they all smiled or laughed, right? Oh, it'd be all over the place. It'd be all different. I said, yes, I've done this with my clients. This is what happens. I said, so you might think you have a strategy, but it's not the one that everyone else is executing, which is why you're probably really pissed off at some of them for doing the wrong things, the wrong way, the wrong time, et cetera, because they're probably executing on their version of the strategy. And it's your job to get them connected, right? So you have to understand that they're connected. You execute on your strategy. That's what you're doing, right? Uh, And then the last thing is cash. If you really want to understand the health of your business and the ability for your business to have velocity and grow, it's not revenue. It's not even profit. It's cash. Cash is the only thing that won't lie to you on your profit statement or your balance sheet, Mm -hmm. your P&L or your balance sheet. And you have to have it before you need it. Because if you want to grow, you typically have to invest in front of growth. So you need to feel like you know how to generate the cash that you need to do that. You can borrow, et cetera, but if you want to do it yourself, you have to do that. So those are the those are the, really the three things I do. Team, this this system approach, which is really f- primarily focused on strategy and execution. And then we, we use cash as our primary financial growth metric, not anything Yeah, else. and that's really interesting. And I I think that does ring true for, for real estate in so many levels as well. Uh, as I grow my real estate business, having your, having your team, right. not necessarily, you know, W2 employees, but having your outward team representing your vision and and connected to your your kind of strategy is is so important and that miscommunication piece um one of the things you've said and it's it's noted a few times on your website is the concept of simplification and i find that really interesting because i spend hours procrastinating and overcomplicating systems and things like that when a notepad would do fine all that kind of stuff what is there kind of a have you seen kind of the repetition of, of complexity or, or the need to simplify across businesses? And what does that look like? Yeah. So, um, you know, there's, there are a bunch of laws out there. Um, the guy who did um, uh, the Peter principle, uh, et cetera, um, has this as well. Basically is when we have, uh, when we build a system, we add complexity to it because we think that's what you're supposed to do. And that's what, what makes it happen. But if you look at the, 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 the most efficient and effective systems or people or teams or et cetera, they focus on just a very few things. Um, one of the things I love to say, it's in my book, is few things truly matter, but those that do matter tremendously. And you have to figure out what those few things are. And by the way, this doesn't just apply to business. This applies, you have a, you have a small kid, right? Is It applies to being a parent, right? 
don't overcomplicate parenting, right? Your job in my, so, so I have a 23 year old. And when I, when I became, before I became a father, I really sat down and said, what kind of parent do I want to be? How would I know that I'm succeeding at this thing? And so I boiled it down to the kind of parent I wanted to be was one that my child didn't need when they grew up, but they wanted to be around. So how do I do that? My job is to help them to be self-sufficient, not give them answers, right? Help them figure out, you obviously keep them safe. There are some sort of fundamental things, right? But don't tell them what to do. Um, uh, My daughter's mother and I rarely said no to our daughter. But what we said was, yes, as long as it was reasonable, yes, but not right now. And as long as we followed through, it was fine. So my daughter knew as long as she was asking reasonable. And as she got older, we then asked her one question, which was, if she wanted to do something, we said, make your case. And, you know, so she got better and better and better at making her case. Uh, and, you know, there was only, there were only one or two times we said no. Uh, to, when she made her case, because it, it was more back to safety. We just didn't trust, you know, there were teenagers and whatever. And we just like, no, it's probably not a good idea. We trust you. We don't trust them, you know, and we don't want you to be in that position. But rarely did that ever happen. So the same thing has to happen with with leaders is your job is very much like that. Your job is to like be a parent is your job is to not give answers. It's It's to give direction and vision and guidelines and just say, you know what? You guys figure it out. As long as you're in here, you know, working in this, um, these guidelines, etc. do whatever you need to do. Be creative, etc. And if it's wrong, as long as you're trying to move towards something that makes sense, towards the vision, et cetera, then we'll look at it. We'll, we'll course correct and do it better next time. But we don't do that. We think that we have to have the answers. And this in this day and age, it's impossible to have the answers. There's just too much stuff going on, right? There's too much information coming from everywhere. So you have to... Figure out that you're not the answer person. Your job is to is to provide the vision for your team and or your company, fill it with the right kind of people, and then give them standards and get out of the way, right? Just say, how can I help you, right? And and keep, keep teaching them the standard. And if they, they miss the standard, so I'm not a big fan of feedback. Feedback is not necessary. Skill base, for skill bases, yes. If you want to build a skill, you need feedback, right? But if, but if you're trying to do something that's creative, et cetera, it's not necessary. Creating a standard is necessary, right? So the, 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 the example I give is a meeting, right? Mm-hmm. Most meetings Agreed. suck, right? We're bad at them. They're too long. And, and if I say, well, what's your meeting standard? They're like, what do you mean? <laughs> we have an agenda. I said, okay, so here's what I think. This isn't the thing to do, but what I say is I have six steps for a meeting standard. One is what is the ideal outcome of the meeting? That's the first thing you have to determine. And make sure that that's right. Okay, now who in the organization, regardless of, of of position, title, department, are the best people to have in this meeting to give you the greatest opportunity to achieve that outcome as often as possible? Okay, only those people should be in the meeting. No one else. Everyone else can contribute to it and be told what happened, but if they're, they don't need to be in the meeting. The second thing is now write an agenda that you think would get you there. And then when you achieve your agenda stop the meeting, right? When the outcome has been achieved, stop the meeting. By the, so by the way, if it's an hour meeting and you achieve it in 40 minutes, you're done in 40 minutes. If the hour is up and you're not done, make a decision. Do we extend the meeting or reconvene until we, mm-hmm. until we reach this agenda? Then, great, you're done. Now, who needs to be informed about what happened? 
And then, and then let's make sure we get back to say, okay, all of the decisions that we made, how do we know that they were done? And that's really what you do in the next meeting, right? You say, okay, let's review what we did. Did we achieve what we needed to do? Great. Let's move on to the next thing. Most people don't do that. They don't even mm-hmm. think about the agenda. Typically, they don't think about the agenda until they send out the invite. Oh, and I found actually that the, the trend I've seen, I'm old enough to have seen a few trends in, in kind of my working life, is no agenda. And then, and then showing up to a meeting yeah. and being asked a question. It's like, well, I, I haven't prepped for that. There was no agenda attached to this meeting. Yeah. Well, I say to them, if there's no outcome or agenda, decline <laughs> I the like meeting. it. I'm not sure I'm ready to try that quite yet. Decline the meeting. And yep. by the way, if people keep doing that, guess what? Things are going to change. No, I think that... Now, that, that, takes brave, <laughs> that takes courage to do that. Especially if you're <laughs> That's the where underling. I'm coming from, yeah. No, I, I like it. I I. I yeah. think just just giving people a heads up of what they're working towards or what they're stepping into it's not it's not a huge ask. Yeah. People yeah. want to help. They want to they want to contribute, but you've got to give them the opportunity. They also give them a chance to think about it. Not just come up with it. Like, our brains don't work generally well on the fly, on yeah. the top of the uh, you know, no. on the top of our head. We need to think about it, understand, put things together. Um so and and some people are introverts. They don't work I'm an introvert. I like to think about it. So if you haven't told me ahead of time and then you want me to give you an answer in the meeting, I'm probably not going to give it or it's going to be a really <laughs> crappy answer. I need to think about it. So you got to give me like an hour or a day or whatever. So it's a waste of my time and your time to have I me think that, contribute. That leads on to something I found very interesting on your website, which is the idea of um, space to think, time to strategize. And this is something I feel like yes. there's so much noise and then there's you know my day job and all this other kind of stuff that figuring out what I want my business to be, what I want it to do and how to get there is kind of piecemeal and, and sporadic. Um, I found walking helps funnily enough. Yeah. I, I take long walks and kind of process. And then I've been yeah. kind of, by the way, that's an evolutionary <laughs> reason. Okay. If you know that it is. Yeah. So, so we, we are, we are bipeds, right? Our ancestors walked about 12 miles a day. So our brain has been trained to work when you're walking, when you're moving, not when you're sitting, which is why schooling the way we do it is terrible, right? Sit them in a chair, fill them full of stuff and expect them to spit it back in two weeks. That's, mm-hmm. not, how, that's not how our brain works. So you're hitting on a really good thing, which is, which is, um, is that we don't, this is where it gets sort of when the science you know, and, and business doesn't connect, right? The science, you have to understand neuro, neuroscience. You have to send a little bit of neuroscience. You don't have to go deep. Because we are, we are all crazy. We're irrational, impulsive, highly emotional beings. Emotion is our default. It is not logic, right? So if you, if you want to ha- have people help you grow the business, you have to understand that, that ideas are insights. Insights are created in the calm of your brain, not in the hurry and the bustle of your brain. So that's why I asked this question. I'll ask this of you, John. When you get your best ideas, what are you doing? Typically? I think either walking or in the shower or running. Yeah. On a bike ride, on a run, whatever. Right? You're letting mm-hmm. your brain actually Always. is calm. That's when insights happen. So if you want people to come up with new ideas and be creative, great. You have to give them time to think. And that's what I say about leaders. I mean, your job isn't to run the day-to-day. You have to understand as your business grows, your job is less and less to run the day-to-day. Your job is to predict the future of the business. And that is a, that is a creative and innovative notion 
which involves insight. And the only way to do that is to fire yourself in the day to day. So you have time to think. Um, uh, there's a, 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 are you familiar with HubSpot? Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've known Brian Halligan for, I don't know, 12, 15, whatever years. Um, and uh, I don't know him that well, but you know, we connect and we chat every now and again. One of, one of the times I, they had just had like the big announcement. They were now at $450 million and they were six years in, right? I mean, they were, they went from zero to $450 million in six years, which is crazy. Even, even for a tech company. Um, and I, and I said, you know, if you just had to point to one thing of all the things that you, that you did that contributed the most to that growth, what would it be? And he wrote me back. It was just an email exchange. He wrote me back immediately. He didn't even think about it. He said, every Friday for years, I, I am at home and I think all day, mm -hmm. right? I think, what do I need to do to get the business growing? Do I have the right team? Am I supporting my team the way I should? He would just think every day, every week, once a week. And he said, that's what I believe is the greatest contributor to, to what I did. So not doing something, <laughs> believe it or not, which is not yeah. true because you're actually doing something. You just can't see it. Is is the best way to help your business? I think, and for successful. me, I think it was that word space because that's what like I I kind of purposely booked out time in my calendar to just go spend three hours, get a coffee, and just strategize or think or process. And yeah. um, that's interesting that Brian does that. I'm 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 a big fan of what HubSpot have done, and you know I I got I got to them through their acquisitions they've made in the various companies, and yeah, it's it's an it's a remarkable remarkable story uh so if that if that's kind of yeah. brian's take i could i'm i'm comfortable with that i like it <laughs> yeah yeah he's he's done, he's okay. done pretty well yeah. <laughs> so the other the other piece of the the kind of simplification pie was the um was really around the, the leadership and kind of that servant role uh servant leader servanthood can you and i i know i'm conscious of time but can you talk us through the the kind of uh what makes a good leader or what makes a good servant leader away from the, I'm your boss, let me dictate to you exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I have my, so my thing is simplified servanthood. That's my purpose. Um, and, but it's not necessarily just servant mm -hmm. leadership, the way it's been described in, in definitions change for people. Um, I, I don't think just the, 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 um, the essence of servanthood, meaning just you must serve your people. That's not how you need to do things, right? They're not leading mm -hmm. the business. You're leading the business, right? You need to set the vision. And vision, by the way, is is can be at any level, right? You can have the vision for the company. You can have the like the long term vision of the company. Like so, so with Microsoft, it was a desk, uh, a computer on every desk and in every in every home. Right? That was the long term vision, right? Um, but you can also have a short-term vision. Okay, what's the three-year vision that gets us closer to that? You can also have a vision for your team. You can have a vision, a, a vision for your division. I mean, you can you should have visions for lots of stuff, which is basically just a picture that says, hey, when we think this is successful or working as well as it can, this is how it looks, right? It's an ideal outcome kind of model. And that gives everyone a sense of, okay, we know what we're striving for. So you don't have to tell them what to do as much because they're like, oh, is, is, is what I'm doing getting us closer to that? Or is what I'm doing actually preventing us from doing that? So maybe I should stop doing or find a new way to do it. Um, so you have to have this sort of purpose vision thing going on, right? What is a purpose for the company? And, and then give that to your team mm -hmm. and then serve them, right? And then say, okay, now you know what you're doing. 
Um, and by the way, serving them also means helping them be better at what they do. And, 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 you know, if, if they're not meeting the standards that we talked about, helping them like if you sit in on a meeting and have them run a meeting and see how they do, if they don't run it well, you know, don't tell them how to run it better. Say, okay, you, do you remember the standard for a meeting? Right. And if they don't, then remind them of the standard and say, okay, what part of the standard do you think we did and didn't do in this meeting? Mm-hmm. Right? You just ask them. And if, unless they're <laughs> delusional, they're going to be like, oh, you know what? You know, I had too many people in this meeting, right? Okay, great. So how, you know, what do you think you want to do next time to correct that? You know, and which people do you think should be in the meeting next time and not and, and whatever. And, you, and that's sort of feedback, but you're not really giving them feedback. You're just helping them uncover it and discover it again for themselves. Um, so that's what I think, those are the, that's what I mean by simplified servanthood, right? You're just trying to figure out how to, the things you got to put in place and then help your people become the best person. I love that. I think that's that's incredible. It's it's I've I've experienced a lot of different kind of um bosses or, or managers or styles and cultures and it's really interesting that that works for me. That kind of uh yeah. 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 It works for almost everybody, right? You know, give your brains back to your team. It's, that's all it's I'm a, saying. Don't do the thinking for <laughs> exactly. them. Why'd you hire them? And it, it also then it, it's the, if you're not a good fit, that's okay. You can fit either somewhere else or somewhere else yeah. or yeah, it, there's, there's a ton of options. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why you need the vision and the standards, right? Because that's when you know they're not a good fit and you need the values, right? One of my, the fav- my most favorite leader is Alan Mulally, who was the CEO of Boeing and of Ford. And his thing used to be love them up, but hold them to the standard. And then if they don't want to meet the standard, he said, it's okay. Just, you know, put your arm around and say, it's okay, but we're doing this. <laughs> so let's find a way for you to do what you want to mm-hmm. do somewhere else. Right. And he, and he did it in a very compassionate and loving way, right? He loved, still loved them up. He just said, it's okay. If you can't do this, that's fine, but we're all doing this. So you can't really be here. Cause there's it's not going to be miserable. Good, con- good content so around that in radical candor that really got me thinking about yeah, we can oh, go into Radical Candor. I'm not a big fan of Radical Candor. Uh, for me, there was some, <sighs> yeah, some anyway. kind of simplistic principles to apply. It's like, what am, what am I doing? What do I like? Yeah, there, there are certain things in there that are appropriate, but the, the, the premise is you must give feedback and you must give, and you can give any kind of feedback you want. I don't know if you know the stories that she always tells, which is she's got um, Cheryl, what's mm-hmm. her name? Who is her boss? The Google lady. Mm-hmm. I can't no, miss your name. Said, you know, you sound stupid when you explain that, right? This was always her story, Kim Scott. And because Cheryl didn't give her the standard. And by the way, she, Cheryl thought she sounded, Cheryl Sandberg thought she sounded stupid, but Eric Schmidt might not have thought she sounded mm-hmm. stupid. Larry Page might not have thought she sounded, sounded stupid, right? And so she, Kim Scott changed how she was because one person gave their opinion on her, right? And the, the best definition I've ever heard of feedback is feedback is you talking about you in the presence of me. Mm-hmm. Right? You're, you're, you're not talking about me at all. You're talking about yeah, how you sure. feel about me, not me. So you got to be really careful because it's your opinion. It's your filter. It's your experience that you're bringing to this as opposed to the standard, right? It's your standard, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's everybody's standard. 
No, I, well, I think that's, that's really issue fair. And, you know, I've, <laughs> you have this uh, track record of experience and, and study and stuff. So I've, I'm just very much the scratch the surface, read the book and get some lessons out of it. So there's probably quite a few levels down, right? So uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting. And, and yeah. I guess probably reading it again, I'd, I'd probably take maybe something different away, but um, that's, I've read my book like seven or eight times just to remind myself. <laughs> That's amazing. Of stuff. Like, That's oh amazing. yeah, I forgot about I love that. The honesty. <laughs> so yeah, I want to be mindful of your time. I feel like we didn't even touch upon growth and how you help organizations grow. Um, how can people work mm -hmm. with you? What's the what's the kind of best route to connect? But also, what what can you do working with organizations? Yeah, sure. So I do three or four things. Um, main thing I do is I'm, I'm this coach slash teacher, right? I basically teach this framework. I work with the CEO or I call head of company and his or her team. I typically do that. It's sort of a one-on-one -on -one situation. Um, uh, we're try I'm trying to set up this thing where I can do one-to-many, sort of a classroom kind of model. Um, but that's been difficult to get going because getting a whole cohort of people starting at the same time is difficult. Um, but that's my main thing I do. I also do some one-on-one -on -one executive coaching where I focus much more on growth than I do on behavior. Most executive coaching is about behavior change. And, and yes, that comes from what I do, but it's not my focus. It's like, you know, are you trying to be, you know, um, uh, more thoughtful or a better listener? Um, I think the way I go at it helps them to be a better listener uh, and helps them also grow the business versus the other way. I'm not saying one's better than the other. I just, it's just a different approach to do the same thing. So I do sort of one-on-one -on -one coaching that, that way. And then I, you know, I, I write a little bit, I do a blog post twice a month um, and I do some speaking. So, but my main gig is, is, is that, and you can find all of that on my website, which is Catalyst Growth Advisor. And we will put the links in the show notes and check out the blog as well. Um, always good to be able to get all that free, good content uh, very easily. Uh, I feel like we we're obsessed with the, or I'm obsessed with YouTube videos, but then, you know, it's, there's a stickiness to reading a good blog post. Yeah. YouTube, <laughs> YouTube is great. Yeah. I, I do. I don't do YouTube videos. I, I just feel a little shy, but on my book, I have 25 different exercises that I have written out so you can do them, right? Like, so you can like download them and try them yourself. My book is definitely a do it yourself book. It's not everything, but it's, it's the essence. It's back to that few things truly matter. I try to put in the few things that if you did these few things really, really well, you're a long way there to taking that Amazing. guess. Amazing, yeah. So check out the, the book. Uh, yeah. as, as we said, the link is in the show notes. So uh, well worth it. Is it Bill, I'd, I'd love to get you back on the show. I feel like we've scratched the surface, but um, I've, I really enjoyed our conversation. Sure. Happy to. This was fun. As awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. And we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Invest Stories. If you like what you've heard, please consider sharing and writing a five-star review. 